We're going to be in the book of Jude. So if you would turn there, please. Book of Jude has a striking resemblance to 2 Peter chapter 2, which I've already preached through, and I've gone through, this will be my third passage dealing with false teachers, and I've tried to hit three different things, or three different themes, as I've gone through here, because as you read through all three of them, it's kind of like preaching the identical sermon time after time after time, like how, how, how do I get something new out of what I just preached, or, or how do I get something new out of what I just heard, and, and really the two that are so close together, if you read Second Peter and then Jude back to back, you would almost think that one copied the other's letter, honestly. Although I think Peter's was written first and Jude's second as far as the chronology of that. It is strikingly similar. But tonight I'd like to look at a few things that I think uh, can challenge, well, that have challenged me and that I'm fairly certain uh, will challenge you. And when it comes to dealing with truth, no matter who you are or what what, wherever you are, handling truth of God's word is the same no matter who you are because we're the same as, as equal ground underneath the cross. Whether it's before the cross or if we are in, in fact saved as, as God calls us and elects us and gives us that opportunity and we, we are aware of our sin and we come to him, uh, every man on this planet has that opportunity. And we also then have the I guess the influence of the opposite. When, when God has illuminated our hearts and lives spiritually and the Holy Spirit is within us and we ignorantly, or excuse me, we intentionally ignore God's truth, it, it's tonight we're going to see again that it's as if it would have been better if we had not done that, is how Jude puts it and how uh, Peter puts it. It would, be, it would have been much better that we had not even known about God uh, than to know him and then let false teaching, false doctrine, and other things invade our minds and be one ourselves or let it happen in the church. Uh, it's, a, it's a strong command which gives me the encouragement of and the exhortation of I must know God's word. That's what it comes down to. If I could boil the sermon down into a couple of things, statements, uh, we're done. So it's 10 minutes to 7 and we can go home now. But I must know God's word. I must know him personally. And my life must be about Christ. It must be. And we're going to see that in the book of Jude. Before we get into it, let's pray. And then uh, we'll read this book, whole book, because it's only one chapter. And uh, we'll do some work in this. Father God, we thank you for the evening you've given us. And it's rainy and Many are like me, the parts of the body that moan and ache when it gets this wet and this humid. Uh, our bodies hurt. We're tired. It's almost winter, and we're gearing up for that. There's many things against us, Lord, as far as mentally, physically, to learn about your word tonight. But I pray that you'd help us to set those aside and to think strongly and convincingly about what you have for us tonight, but what what... Jude and, and dealing with false prophets, dealing with false teaching and doctrine in our, in our midst, what that means for me and how I should direct my life knowing that this is happening, that this is going to happen. I pray that you'd give us some encouragement tonight. And Lord, more than that, tonight I pray that you would help us to self-evaluate 
and look at the areas where we absolutely fail. We fail. We cannot, we cannot make it. And then I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that, that we would speak that to you, repent, and that you would be who you say you are, and you're going to bridge the gap for us. And you're going to fill that in because of your grace, your love, and your mercy, which gives us ultimate peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn with me to the book of Jude, and I'm going to read this. And uh, we're going to read the whole book. Uh, It's just like a chapter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept the eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in a sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contended, uh, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these, but these people blaspheme you all that they do not understand. And they also are destroyed by, by that. Uh, like unreasoning animals understand instinct, uh, instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of, the, of Cain and abandon themselves in the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Kor's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones, to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly for all the deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, their loudmouth boasters, 
showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, or they said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through, the Lord, or through Jesus Christ our Lord, be majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now forever. Amen. As we look at this chapter, it seems as though the cards are stacked against false prophets. It seems as though, okay, as, as you read through 2 Peter, 1 John, or 2 John uh, 2, you read through these passages that, that we've dealt with and you think, I'm not in that category. Well, if you remember the first time I preached, I, I preached in my, my kind of the topic of the theme was there's a f- false prophet in all of us. There is a, there's a, a point at which our flesh overtakes us and we introduce, not only to ourselves, but to other people, uh, false things, things that aren't true, things we haven't studied out, things that we're not completely sure of, and we share them as if they are. And it might not be. It may be that we have a bit of false prophet in us. And then yes, or the last time I preached, a couple months ago, we talked about, uh, that was Peter, then went to John, Second John, uh, and talked about why, why John promoted truth. What was the deal? And he, t- he wrote the letter to the woman. Uh, the lady in the family, and I think specifically to the lady in the family because of some things that were taking place in their home. And he was concerned about letting this happen, and he didn't want that to take place. And we saw the, we saw the, uh, the frustration there. Um, let, me, let me just read to you in 2 John um, chapter 2. Uh, Yeah, where he says, I rejoice in you to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but one you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. And then he goes on and talks about the many deceivers, but he was pounding truth. He was pounding that it's important to know and to have truth. Well, Jude was written to a group of believers, and Peter seemingly wrote the same, same letter. And in the first part of Jude, if you go back to the first part of it, in verse 3, where he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write you about our, and then it says, common salvation. What, what is the common salvation? Well, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He seems to start by saying, I was going to write about salvation. And to be honest with you, he probably was, I mean, he was obviously living out what was going on. And so he probably wanted to choose something that was very encouraging, uplifting, 
and giving them a charge to live rightly because of the great gift that salvation is. It, it tends to, to make you happy. Well, it, it should anyway. It tends to, to bolster your, maybe your spirituality for a moment to say, yeah, God did save me, and that's tremendous, and I want to I live in that. And then he shifts his focus and he says, and here's, here's the question, why the letter? Why, why write another letter like this? And he says, I found it necessary to write appealing. There's two different words that are used here, and I'm going to talk about the specific word appealing. This is an ESV translation. The New King James says to exhort you. The NIV says to urge you. The NASB also says to, to appeal to you. And I think that's a better uh, view of what's going on. It's kind of this, it's kind of this idea that I want to convince you emphatically. Of what? It seems like they're struggling with some immature things, and, and it's not immature things, it's something believers struggle with all the time. It's just that you let your defenses down, and you let things come into your life that ought not be there, and he says, I want to appeal to you. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, and he says it's this, it's this massive thing that was given to everybody who believed. What is that? Well, yes, it was salvation. But he's going to convince people that we have to fight. So I put up a slide here of, of a picture of war. And this word exhort or appeal or urge in this context, the Greek letter or the word wording uh, deals with and, and, and means that it's somewhat of a, it's, it's like a command was given. There was something that was given as a command. And and as it was given as a command, it's important to know that this is something that is important for us even today. It's a command to, to think about what we have. In this Greek context, it would be equivalent to an army order. So Paul would understand this a little bit better than I. Those of you who served in the military, you're given an order. And I don't think you're allowed to question that order. Am I, am I wrong? Can you question an order? Is there a way to question an order? Like, your, your uh, sergeant says, I want you to go, and I, I've, I've heard such things in training. Uh, Ted Kira was telling me the fact that, you know, they had this big log, and they had 13 or 14 guys or whatever, and they had to go pick up this log and move it over there. And then they come back, and they get ready to go, and they get in, in formation or whatever, and then the, uh, the guy in charge, captain would say, or uh, sergeant would say, I want you to go pick, and put it right back. I've heard people, you know, where they have to dig in over here, and then they say, fill it in and dig in over here. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Some of the training exercises, Paul's grinning. Is that what happens? I don't know. But you can't probably just go up to that sergeant and say, Gomer Pyle style, uh, sergeant, I was thinking that maybe that's not the best way to do it. Maybe you should consider just letting us all sit around, have some fun for a little bit, get our energy back, and then as a group, we go out and, and accomplish the task maybe a little bit later after our naps. That's not the, the, the tone. That's not where Jude is coming from. He's about to write about a common salvation and rejoice in that. And then God opens, the Spirit opens his mind to what's reality. What is reality? Things have crept in. It's a mess. The church and believers are all over the place spiritually because they've lost this command. They've lost the idea that I am on a, I am on a mission 
until I die for truth and for Christ. It's gone. Jude says, I was going to write about this, but you know what? This is the problem. And it didn't matter to him that there have been several rebukes and several cautions about this because in the last times, it's going to get even increasingly more and we will see this. So, exhort and urge. I think those are good parallel words and and whatever word you choose to put in there, and if you could see it better, I kind of put a different color on the word appealing, but because of the washed outness of the screen here, it doesn't show up. But if you were to say, and this is, this is the, the verse here, I found it necessary to, appeal, uh, to write, appealing to you, exhorting you, or urging you. It's a command. You need this. I want you to do this. And what is the command? To contend for the faith. That's not a small task. He's not writing this and going, yeah, I think you just need to work on, like if it's Paul and Corinthians, uh, work on growing up. Don't be such a babe in Christ. I I fed you milk for many, many years, and and you need to get past that. It wasn't this thing of, well, you're calling your brother a bad name. Let's just deal with that. As James would say, we're dealing with the tongue. No, it's the full Monty. We're contending for the faith. It's Christ is on the line, and the world is taking over. Who are you, what side are you going to be on? What side of the aisle are you going to stand on? This is the context in which Jude writes. So the recipients of the letter, in verse 1 it says, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Christ, Jesus Christ. Now, commentators that I read went wild on this. And even, even sermons that I listened to and other people that, that uh, had comments to, that I read and, and studied about this uh, some of them uh, just went wild from verse 3 on, where the context gets in of why he writes. Why, why to this? I would contend that the whole point starts here. Jude sets the stage. Who was he writing to? The recipients of the letter had to have been the people who he was trying to see if they were true believers and not letting the Gnosticism and the unbelief and all the things that crept into, this, into the church in. He was trying to find out who are these people, and he knew there were people like that because he was one. He was one. And he was wanting to see who is going to stand on my side, and are we going to be able to fight this battle together? So he says, to those who are called, well, we see this language, and we see it all over the New Testament, called. And I'm not going to get into the, the uh, logistics of, uh, you know, uh, God's, God's total call on a person's life, whether he or she does not have any decision in that, whether uh, we have the decision to uh, accept Christ and to believe in him. I'm not going to get into that, but I do know this, that the two ideas here that, that, have to, that, that have to work here is the fact that there are believers who are called. I believe I was called to Christ. I do. I am a Christian because he called me to that. And if I rejected his call... It would be very obvious at the last days where I would go and see him and I would say, hey, I should be letting these pearly gates. And he would say, son, I didn't know you. You're not in the book of life. I'm sorry. There is a call that I've been been called to. Uh, Ephesians and Paul talks many, many times about that. Beloved in God, the Father, and here's the other key word, kept. There's this idea of pre-called and then kept. So it, it spans both ends here. Jude writes to that person that believer. 
And the reason I think he puts those to that, that context of from the beginning, God's work and yours, and then, and then he's kept keeping you and God's work to finish it, is because the false teachers would come in and they would start to erode that kind of thinking because it wasn't about Jesus. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about his spirit. It was about man. And it was about what I could do and my merit. And so you saw this explosion of popularity. You saw this explosion of of preachers who got much credit. and, And by the way, extremely wealthy. But it was all based on false things, false doctrines. Sounded good to the ear. Horrible exposition. Horrible, uh, uh, you know, uh, decision-making of whether it was truthful or not. Literally, those who have been set apart to share a common salvation. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with this tonight. We in this church would say that we have experienced, if, if you have, a salvation that has come from Christ. Okay? So, so what you're saying is, that that has radically changed your life. Radically. So your sole goal is who, then? If we're going to give the Sunday school answer, the sole goal of of everything we do is who? It's Jesus Christ. Okay, good. I'm glad the class knows the answer. We know it individually. We know it as a family. And we know it as a church. How in the world, then, do we let false teaching Invade. How is it invading America? Would you say it's invading America? My goodness, you can watch the television and watch it invade. And I'm talking about the spiritual channels. Pastor was mentioning in chapel, uh, in our high school chapel, that he, Lynn, Lynn likes to, do you like to watch that stuff? You like to watch uh, that stuff, kind of, kind of, you know, uh, Benny Hinn, kind of uh, Joel Steen. Network television. What, I don't even know what the station is, but is it TBN or something? I don't know what it is. Anyway, if you get a really, really bad channel, you can watch it. And Pastor was saying that there was a guy who was preaching on the table next to him or something. He had these green handkerchiefs. And he blessed the green handkerchiefs. And if you wanted the green handkerchief, you just put it over anything and it would heal it. So $49.99. That's it. That's it. I would buy that for my car and my house and everything and just wipe that baby all over the place. But we know that that's garbage. But Guess what? The guy is preaching in probably a stadium, state-of-the-art stuff. He probably lives in a a mansion. He's got all this stuff. Why? Because so many people have been astray by such a false doctrine, by such false teaching. Because what does man, what appeals to man? The quick fixes of life. The quick advances. The the get-rich-quick schemes. Everything is cool now. I'm, I'm I can retire. That's our ultimate goal. That is not our ultimate goal. You said it. It's Jesus. You said it when you got saved. I want you, Lord, to do what you will in my life. Because if you didn't say that in salvation, frankly, there is none. You haven't got it yet. Because if you don't totally surrender, we're going to find out that's what a false prophet and a false teacher looks like. It's part truth coupled by man's thinking and it's divided churches. It's divided God's plan. It's just 
thrashed all kinds of things. So as we look here, there's two things, uh, called and then kept in reserve. The, uh, several other transla translations use this idea of reserve, the word reserve, which is found in verse 6 and verse 13, I believe. And it has to do with God's persevering of the saints, his, his work through the saints all the way through time. And it's not going to stop. It's not going to end. So the, the first verse in Jude is highly important to his message. Even though it starts with, I want you to contend for the faith, that's a great message, but who? You, me, those who are in the church who are believers, real ones. Real ones. As we go on, we're going to see why. Wearsby, or, yeah, Warren Wiersbe says it this way. So, so that we have this idea of we are all in battle together, pursuing, contending for the faith, not letting false doctrines come into this building, this place, in our hearts, in our own minds, in our families. We're, we're, we're you know, absolutely got our radars up all the time. So this is the, this is the, this is the key, case, right? And hopefully in your family, in your heart, and in, in, uh, in our church, this is what it looks like. And he, Warren Wearsby says it this way. He says, here then, we have the spiritual army. That's us, okay? We have the spiritual army that Jude was addressing. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are in, his arm, in this army. God is looking for volunteers, um, or not looking for volunteers. He's already enlisted you. The question is not, should I become a soldier? Should, should I now enlist and become a soldier? The question is, will I be a loyal one? Let me put it to you this way. All the way through my life, will I grow? All the way through my Christian life, will I pursue truth? Or was it good enough to do this? Which I've seen, and I'm, I, I've seen recently. Start out as a believer, grow, 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 grow. Wow. Get to some pinnacle and, and cruise. As you cruise, it just kind of shrinks away, kind of atrophies. And as you go through life, it just kind of fades away. You still know all the truth. You still have all that stuff. But what is taking place is this slow atrophy over life. And, and things like this come into play. I just don't have time. My family gets in the way. I have a rough job. I need, I need uh, you know, I, I need to serve in the church. So that takes that, takes that, that you know, time up that I, I grow spiritually myself or, or lead other people or what Rory has, has tried to do in many different ways, disciple somebody else. And what we do is we get this pinnacle where we think, man, God, you're really doing something in my life. And then we put it on cruise control and then we just start to decrease in life spiritually. At that point, where we are no longer increasing constantly, because that's what God calls us to do, progressive sanctification. We continue to grow until the final bell. That's it. And then God does all the rest that we couldn't do, humanly possible in our own spiritual life, and he gives us his righteousness. But what we do is we grow to this point where it's like salvation, yeah! And then we kind of just cruise. Well, how loyal are you being? If you're a soldier, every day do you wake up and think, this is a battle for contending for the faith in truth. Let me, let me be frank with you. I feel like I have to do this in a Christian school from time to time. I have to contend for the faith in a Christian school. Why? Young people don't really care to hear it. They don't, they don't want it a whole lot. We hear it all the time. 
and, and, and all these different things. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys understand what you're saying. You understand where you're positioning yourselves in front of God to say, listen, I've, I've heard it all. I, I've, I've done this. I've grown all the way. Okay? I've done the salvation thing. I go to church all the time. My family's saved. I got everything in line. And then out the door we go, and whoop, just fall away. Why? Because it wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. It wasn't a daily battle. There's not one legitimate soldier that would wish disaster on his company, on his, on his platoon. There isn't one legitimate soldier that would say, you know what, today I hope we go out in the desert and we get wiped out. Sick of this. Not legitimate. Not loyal. I wonder how many of us are in that mode where we just, we're, should we volunteer for that? Should, should we just ask God, do you want us to fight that battle? I'll do it today. I'll fight it when it's convenient. Or are we loyal from day one where it's like, no question. I'm going to get up today. I'm going to shed myself, embrace the cross, and serve and be at war to contend for the faith. If that is your, if that is your field of reference, may I suggest to you that the things that we let flood our windshields of life on a daily basis would quickly windshield wiper off and our view would become very clear. Don't need that. Oh, that doesn't do anything to help me contend for the faith. Oh, man, sorry, God, that would be embarrassing if you knew that I was doing that. Wow, I'm not leading my family in this way. Got to remove that. I'm talking about you are loyal. You know it's a battle. And Satan is standing, or one of his workers is standing at the door ready to take advantage of the situation. And you're going... Oh, it's another day in Fond du Lac. Paradise, right? Let's go. Let's have a great day. And I'm not saying we're not going to have days like that, because there are. But there are also days where we let down our guard and say, you know what? Today, spiritually, it's just not worth me battling. I'm too tired. I'm too worn out. And you know what? I just really don't care right now. We've all done it. How many love coming to church on Sunday nights all the time, especially when it's 20 below? Like, yeah, <laughs> car won't start, ice on the roads, Dick and Gene would have to fly back from Arizona, that's a long trip, I mean, come on, right, that just, that's real motivation, we just, just, you know, gets us going, right, I wonder how loyal we are, so the question is, what, what side are you on, are you on that loyal side where it's just a constant going at it, or have you taken the side of, I'm in this pool, this applicant pool, this volunteer pool. I'm in this Christianal region. I'm kind of one of those things that if you were to ask me, about, oh, yeah, 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 I'd be there. Okay, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, I'm there, I'm there. And then when the rubber meets the road, it's like, here's your gun, here's your Bible, here, go take, I'm not suggesting that we take guns and Bibles and witness. That was not my point. My point was that we'd take a military-type order and we'd go and we'd do exactly what we're called to do on a daily basis. And when it comes to that, are we scared of it? Do we just kind of shy away and go, well, schedule just got rammed. I am so busy. Can't do it. Not going to do it. 
Well, there's an answer, and I'm going to skip in this chapter. Now, I went from verse 3 where he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I'm not ta- I'm not I'm going to skip from verse 3 and talk about who he's really talking to, okay? So let's go to verse 20, if you would please. In verse 20, he says this. He gives a description of who those loyal soldiers are, what they look like, what they're doing constantly. And he says this, but you beloved. And he says beloved because they're beloved brothers in Christ. It's not just a beloved like general, hey buddy, hey, how you doing, gal pal? It's a, you are part of my platoon. But you beloved. And then he says, and you read these words, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying In the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Is that the description of your Monday? Tuesday? Wednesday might get a little easier because you come to church. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh, Sunday, there it is. Look what he says, verse 20. There's a building aspect to this person. They constantly have the the benefit or the the kingdom goal in mind. We're going to build it. As God gives me the bricks, we're going to lay them. And we're going to build. There's a prayer aspect. We got nailed with that all summer long. I'm still reeling and swimming in that. I don't know if you guys are. How do I pray so that God doesn't just reject my prayer as, you say that all the time to me, son. Instead, he goes, you're thinking. Your heart is like a man that I used to love, David. And I can see that your motives are genuine. There's prayer built into this person, the beloved brethren. There is, he's got this idea of a keeper. He wants to keep true, or keep God's word firm in his life and his heart. It's not wavering. If you're a keeper, you don't just kind of let things go easily. Some of us are more keepers than others. Just open the garages, right? Attics, whatever. But do you keep truth like that? You find a nugget and you're so excited about it and it's just yours now and you're not going to let it go because that's going to help you contend for the faith. There's a waiter. He's watchful. Another word for this would be a looker. I didn't want to put that on because maybe it sounded weird. But he's vigilant. He's a, he looks The person has always got his eyes open. So when you're on the post to watch for the enemy, when you're on the post to watch out for somebody else's good, you're doing it. You just don't let it go to sleep. So maybe that's in our accountability type of thing where, oh, you know what, I didn't ask that guy for like four weeks how he was doing. And for four weeks the guy struggled and nobody's asked him. He's watchful. Also, he's merciful as well as evangelistic. Go to verse 23 with me. Verse 23 says this. Uh, let's go, sorry, tw- start in 22, where he says, and have mercy, there's merciful, on those who doubt. And then verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Having evangelistic outreach or an evangelistic thought process 
to contend for the faith, snatching those who are pulled out. Commentators put that into three categories. They say, okay, it's the people who, who are not totally against God or that are just ignorant. They just have never heard. And so you, you grab them and you make an association or a relationship and you bring them into the fold of Christ. Then there's the group that says adamantly, no, I'm not part of that. Don't want any part of that. It says, with mercy and fear, keep those at a distance, but still be merciful to their soul and still witness to them. And there's a third category which says, I will never be a part of that. And those, obviously, stay away from. Don't don't injure yourself needlessly. Stay away from. So that was the reality of the the beloved, the person who he's talking to. So, what is the reality of it all? Where are we in this? Well, if you're like me, you're like the pig in the mud. You get washed, and where do you head right back to? Mud. Because that's what you know. That's who you are. But my friends, God's righteousness has washed you whiter than snow. You're clean. Not just clean, you are holy and pure before God when you stand in His presence when the time comes. Look at 2 Peter 2, 20-22. Look at the parallel of how close this is. He says, For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them, and overcome in the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the war of righteousness than after knowing it, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb uh, says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So the question is, can this really be me? Do I have a part of that false doctrine and false teaching in my heart, in my life? And we're going to go back to verse 4 because there must have been that element in believers' lives because Jude wouldn't have written the letter if it wasn't to contend for the faith and to find out who is really real. That's where I want to drive tonight. Is this my reality? If this is my reality... How many more Christians share this look? In other words, you've washed yourself, you've gotten cleaned, but then you've dove back into sensual things, immorality, other things that corrupt your heart inside. The outside looks like a Christian, but inside you devote nothing to it. Look what he says. Certain people. Verse 4, I'm going to jump back to verse 4 now. We're going to talk about who this is, the certain people, the false people, Okay? For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Now, Peter and John talk about, well, let me, let me just say, Isaiah, I've listed them for you. Isaiah, Hosea, Zephaniah, Matthew, well, Jesus said in Matthew, and Second Peter all talk about that eventually false teachers will have their day in eternal hell. They will be judged at the final judgment, and that will be it for them. So the judgment is already there, but... but For certain people who have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, those who are false teachers, okay, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny only our, excuse me, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So these people come in looking like the real deal. 
They may even have influence in our life. But underneath it all, they have no real relationship with Christ. And so what they deal with is an alternate reality of what they think God is like and who he is and what he's done, as opposed to fighting with Christ and on his side and truly knowing him because they have they are in the word. They know his words. They know his heart and know his life. Why would Jude have to write this letter to a bunch of believers? Because it happens. And it happens. Who are these certain people? I'm not trying to chastise anybody here in our church. But who is this? If we were to look in our own life and look in our own reality, are the people that have come in and put these kinds of things in our minds and planted seeds and roots of bitterness and other things that really don't care about God. They say they do, but when it comes to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Saturday, and you see them, and you see their actions, their attitudes, and their words, it does not match up with Christ. Those are the certain people. Those are the certain people. And we have to be wary of them. We have to be very careful of them. Assumptions. If this is you, you have, to, you have to know, it's not even an assumption, that I've lost ground spiritually. Ask yourself, from the day you got saved, the motivation you had to learn about God, is it the same today? Have I lost ground? Am I losing ground? Knowing it, not doing a thing about it. That's even worse, he said. Second Peter. It's worse that you're in that position because you're choosing to do so. Jesus is not the most important. What is this whole thing about? Rory says this often in his sermons. Pastor does too. The whole point is Jesus. The whole point we come back to is God. My view of God is now perverted. I've got a windshield that doesn't clear up. When I was in college, sophomore year of college, my parents lived in, excuse me, freshman year of college, my parents lived in Arizona. They hadn't quite moved to Dayton, Ohio. It was the last time that I would fly from Minneapolis to Phoenix and go home for uh, Christmas break. Every other time would now be to Dayton, Ohio, and, and we no longer have a home in uh, Phoenix, and my parents have moved and been in Dayton for a long time. And I remember driving down the interstate, and it was snowing, and it was one of those snows that was a real wet and nasty one, and so the semis were flinging all the stuff on the windshield, and I was, I was halfway to Minneapolis, and I ran out of windshield wiper fluid. Have you ever been there and, and had that experience? It's, it's, it's scary. Because when you're on the interstate, and it dries, and you, you try to put the windshield wiper on, and then it just smears even worse, and you're trying to so hard focus through like the tiniest little dots, and hopefully see like a brake light or a bumper or something to give you some navigational anything, or you roll the window down, you're having to, you know, do the, uh, you know, out the window thing, trying to get any barometer of where you're at. <coughs> as, I, as I thought about spiritual lives, that picture came into my mind. God's equipped us with washing fluid, God's word, church, believers, other people to wash us, give us clean uh, a thoroughness, a, a thinking, a right, you know, a direction, a reset, and on a constant basis, we have friends that do that on a daily basis. We have, 
We have uh, church and pastors that do us uh, for on a weekly basis, maybe more than uh, once a week. We have we have uh, different events that we do in our lives, whether it's Bible reading or listening to sermons or whatever we do that should hopefully set us right. And it's kind of like putting the washing fluid on, and wow, that's a big difference. It's clean. I can see. Wow, that semi bumper is coming up really quickly, and I need to step on the brake. Right? Whew. And I wonder. Some of our tanks are completely gone. We're just okay. If whatever happens, happens. The windshield wipers still work. The car still drives. Nobody really will know what's going on until the trial. Listen to me. Until the trial. And then it's exposed. Because what a trial does is it puts stress on your weakest points. And then what that does is cracks. And when it cracks, it exposes visibly to everyone who you are. And they will either see Christ, or they will see a whole lot of you. If somebody opened my life, I would want them to see nothing but Christ. Because then I did my job. That meant I was a loyal soldier. That meant I was true and I contended for the faith. That meant that, meant that I, 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 like Paul, desired that everything I have is for loss and Christ is everything. That is why Jude wrote this letter. It was to see who was perverting the truth and who was going to stand on the side of contending for the truth. Examples he gives, he gave in the same as Second Peter, and I'll go quickly. Hebrews, they were destroyed, Israel, okay? Uh, he saved them, and what did they do? They fell right back to an idol, and they, they get destroyed. Uh, fallen angels, judgment of, you know, those who fell, came down, and you know, they're going to be destroyed, uh, the final judgment. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, we see that, we see that in Second Peter, we see that here. And he, he references it again here, and we know what happened to that city. I mean, it was a city that literally blew up and caught all on fire at once. Nobody lived, even the surrounding cities. It was gone. False teachers, the unnoticed. Verse 8 says, they rely on a state of mind, reason, defile flesh, and blaspheme. And I'm not asking, is this you? What I'm asking is, do you tolerate it? If you tolerate it, then you've got a problem with you. 9, verse 9, example of Michael and Satan. Uh, verse 10, blinded by Satan and literally less able to understand than the dumbest of animals. The people are ignorant and, and should be put to sleep or put to death like the animals that run you know, raging wild. They don't belong. Levin, it's a warning. Don't go the way of Cain. He says that. You've gone the way of Cain. Obviously, that didn't turn out too good. 13 to 14, you've reversed uh, your thinking and your responsibility. No longer am I responsible to anybody for, any, for anything. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to use my reason to go and think about God. I don't have to use my heart to go in that direction because I don't need to. And you reverse that thinking. Then, then Enoch gets uh, pushed in there again. And he, he says, judgment's coming. He was the man, of course, that was uh, taken by God, right? He didn't, he didn't actually die. He was taken up by God. These are the unnoticed. And this is who they are when they are uncovered. Verse 4, ungodly, morally perverted, 
they deny Christ. Verse 8, defile the flesh, rebellious, revile holy angels. Verse 10, dreamers. That means thinkers for themselves, but of in themselves. Ignorant, corrupted. Verse 16, grumblers, fault finders, self-seeking, arrogant seekers, speakers, excuse me, speakers and flatterers. Verse 18, mockers. 19, cause division, worldly minded, without the spirit. May I suggest this? If you are not 100% a soldier for Christ, you are partially in that group. And if you're partially in that group, are you a committed soldier? Are you contending fully for the faith? We'll finish with this. He writes this doxology. The last verses of this, uh, of this book, letter, one chapter. And this caused me to rejoice greatly. I know that I'm not going to be able to do any of that on my own. And if you think you're going to, you're already a false teacher. <laughs> okay? You're, you're there. I know that I cannot do any of that on my own. And look what he says. He says, now to him, that should be to Jesus Christ, to him that is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The only God, your Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and until now forever. Amen. In other words, it is God who's going to do this work in you. It is about Jesus. It's about fighting for him. And are you going to contend for the faith and let him be the pillar you stand on, the rock you stand on for the foundation of that so that he can do this through you. He is able, you are not. He is desiring to work through you, but your flesh is going to get in the way. Are you going to let it shed off of you so that you can be what Jude calls for, a contending Christian, a contending believer? How does that change your week? Forget the week. How should that change your life? I've been stumbling over this for like three and a half weeks. And every time I look at it and I read it, I get discouraged reading through all the stuff that we have to go through in America and in our lives and our societies because, frankly, I get tired of weeding everything out. I just don't want to anymore. That is the first step to losing the content, to contend for the faith. That's the first step to falling away. I can't do it. I can't let that happen. Neither can you.